This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA a part of your Friday here on this February 25th. As we take a look at the factors impacting the agricultural industry, boy, if you have checked your markets this morning, it's clear that the tension and unrest and invasion in Ukraine is still moving the markets. We'll talk to Darren Newsom of Newsom Analysis here in just a minute about how this might proceed as we get through this weekend and into next week. Then in segment two, we're going to be talking to Jackie Fatka. She had the opportunity to head down the Renewable Fuels Association's National Ethanol Conference this week. Heard from a lot of folks involved with the government, with the USDA, and with the EPA. She'll give us an update on that in segment two. And then in segment three, we're going to talk to Darren Domi. Darren is a petroleum hedger. He works with uh, with retailers and wholesalers all across the country. We're going to talk about the oil industry, how it could proceed from here, and why we're not seeing the drilling we should expect in this country at $100 crude. Darren's going to give us some upside, up insight there. And then Finally, at the end of the show, we're going to talk to Greg Solier. A lot of folks had some interesting weather yesterday. Heard from some friends down in uh, Missouri and Arkansas. We saw some ice, uh, snow across the central Corn Belt. Greg will fill us in on just what to expect as we get into this winter. Excuse me, weekend. That's the W word I was looking for. But first, let's talk markets with Darren Newsom. Darren, let's talk soybeans right off the bat. We've had a $1.50 swing here in the spring uh, soybean contracts over the past 48 hours. How do folks trade these markets when they're this volatile? Uh, good morning, Mike. I, I, I don't know, to be honest with you. Um, you know, what we've been talking to folks about is to sell a little bit at a time, but that's mostly new crop. Uh, there's not much old crop left to be sold. I mean, if you do have it, I mean, when we saw, you know, March hit uh, overnight, Wednesday into Thursday, March hit its limit up 90 cents. Yeah, no one was awake, really, to see it. Uh, and if they did, yeah, maybe they could get some done, maybe not. But as you said, it's been a huge swing. And the reason that I see is that the market picked up on the same statement from President Biden that I did uh, when he said something to the effect of countries backing Russia were stained. Uh, so not only did the market pick up on that, but the world's largest buyer did as well. And it has been since that point, Thursday afternoon, uh, that the soybean market has really uh, accelerated to the downside, really come under a lot of pressure. And oddly enough, though, uh, China, the president of China and the president of uh, Russia had a phone call. First thing um, would have been first thing Friday morning, North American time. Over on the other side of the world, it was already afternoon, and now all of a sudden there is talk about diplomacy between Russia and uh, Russia and Ukraine. I don't know how it all fits together, but the sell-off started after the comment was made and after China reacted. So, Darren, I mean, the, the worry then, it sounds like you're concerned that China's hearing this, they're stained as supporters of Russia, so they're backing away from American bean purchases, but where are they going to go? Darren, you track the fundamentals looking at the spreads in this market. Last time we talked, it looked like the overall soybean picture was pretty darn tight globally. What's the alternative here? Well, there really isn't one. Uh, now, the, the only question is, and 
and I don't think it's the case, but the only question is, is if China has bought up the bulk of what it's going to need this marketing year uh, in, and locked it in from whatever was produced in South America, and it doesn't matter what was produced, uh, the fact is it's not going to be enough to get China all the way through. Um, but if they bought up the bulk of that, and there's ideas that they probably have, then at some point they will have to come back to the U.S. But what we're seeing is most of the purchases are for 2022-23. Uh, there's not a lot of 2021-22 on the books. So uh, that's really the concern is how far out have they been able to book what South American production was available and when will they have to come back to the shores of the U.S.? The U.S. has an incredibly tight available stock situation. As we talked last time, it is so tight. It's much tighter than what USDA is talking about. We're talking about almost record tight uh, soybean supplies in relation to demand at this point. And it's not going to get any better. Uh, so that's still going to come into play. That's still going to provide support. Right now, we just have a vacuum in the market with some selling coming in tied to what we saw yesterday, tied to what we saw Thursday. Uh, and we have to go back down far enough to find the buyers again. Okay. How far down, Darren, do we have to go to find those buyers? I know you take a look at these charts. Do you have any levels that look like they might be attractive buying areas, even given the incredible volatility we've got out there right now? No idea. Uh, I, I hate to sound that way, but yeah, I mean, we could basically, and, and I know some folks are going to laugh at this coming from me, we can basically talk, take charts at this point and just throw them out the window. Um, this is all about this is all about fundamentals. This is all about okay, where are the global buyers going to be? We saw some we saw some purchases announced, some export sales announced again Friday morning uh, to unknown and to China. Oddly enough, again mostly for 22, 23. So we don't really know where those commercial buyers are going to be sitting. We don't know where the algorithms are going to kick back in. Uh, it it there could be quite a gap. I mean, we didn't leave any support. Uh, below this market. I like to go by four-week lows uh, as far as some, some target areas. And in the May contract, you know, this week, uh, let's just say next week, that's down at $14.79. And we're at $16 right now. So still another $1.30, $1.20 down. So, you know, there, it, there's a long way down before we might find some technical buying. Darren, I want to ask you about the strength in the U.S. dollars. We think about finding our export partners around the seas. The cost of U.S. soybeans jumped pretty substantially yesterday as the dollar gained in value. Now that we've seen kind of the initial first blush of panic and fear from this Ukraine uh, invasion, where do you see the value of the dollar headed? Are we still the, the best house in a bad block, so to speak? Yeah, you know, it certainly seems that way. Um, you know, for whatever reason, for better or for worse, the U.S. dollar is indeed viewed as a safe haven market uh, for global uh, for global investments. But like so many other things, you know, it spiked on Thursday and has pulled back. Now, do I still see the potential for a downtrend for a weakening dollar? Yeah, I do. Uh, but then we have to add in the fact, okay, how much – how much of an effect are all these, what everyone's talking about, all these uh, interest rate increases over the next year going to have? You know, some are saying six, seven, eight, possibly 10. I don't think it's going to be that much. And even if it does, it's not going to change interest rates all that much. Uh, but, you know, if the, if the dollar wants to hang around in this area, I don't know that commodities are really looking at that and commodity buyers are really looking at that right now. I think, as you mentioned earlier, buyers are looking for who has supplies. and 
that's going to be that's going to be the deciding factor. Currencies are going to get kind of put to the side right now. There's been a lot of volatility in currencies. They're going to look to see who actually has physical supplies that can be shipped of anything, not just grains, but anything, because we're seeing inverted forward curves just about everywhere you look. It is something else. This is an incredible period of market to, to of marketing to watch. And Darren Newsom, thank you so much for taking the time to share your insights with us here on AOA. And folks, stick around when AOA returns. We'll be talking to Jackie Fatka, policy editor at Farm Progress. We're going to talk about the National Ethanol Conference and what all happened at that. So stick around on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day, our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this year? Be sure to stop by the UPL booth to talk with their crop specialists. We also have some exciting news we'll be unveiling that you won't want to miss. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the UPL booth on Thursday, March 10th from 9 to 10 a.m. Stop by booth 5320 or listen live at 9 a.m. on the Agriculture of America radio network. We look forward to seeing you at this year's Commodity Classic in New Orleans. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. 
This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. We are talking about the issues and factors impacting the world of agriculture today. And I just got a message on the show's Twitter feed. You can find us on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show. A listener just said, hey, where's John Holzman? I promised yesterday John would be on the show, geopolitical strategist, to talk to us about what's happening in the Ukraine. And he was expected to be on. We were talking yesterday. And then this morning, he got called in to brief NATO. And uh, frankly, I said that uh, that matters a little more given the war in Eastern Europe. So John is talking to NATO today. We will be getting him on the show on Tuesday to talk about what could be happening in Ukraine next and what to expect from these sanctions. So do be sure to tune in to AOA next week. Now, next, we want to talk ethanol. Obviously, we've been talking about this a lot. We've seen the crude oil market rally. We've seen ethanol profitability dwindle over the past couple of weeks. But overall, that industry has been fairly healthy through 2021. Jackie Fadka, policy editor with Farm Progress, had the opportunity to go to the National Ethanol Conference earlier this week. Jackie, thanks for filling us in on what you learned down there. Yeah, excited to talk with you, Mike. Well, let's start with you heard from several uh, faces in this administration. Notably, I know the EPA was down there giving an outlook for what they expected for ethanol and issues they're keeping an eye on. What were some of the headlines? Jackie, what was the ethanol industry really watching for from EPA? You know, I think overall, uh, EPA, and this is the National Ethanol Conference, but really it was a Renewable Fuels Associations Conference, and they do have a good working relationship. And interestingly, yes, um, an EPA official was there, and, and she was also the same official who was there 12 years ago when the RFS2 was uh, being rolled out. And so it was kind of a, a full circle of, you know, we we wrote that original RFS all those years ago um, to to really stimulate demand. And, um, you know, as we come into 2022, that is the end of what EPA would be doing the congressionally mandated levels of what to, to blend. And we are entering into a new stage, and they call it the set, set rule that's going to be coming from EPA on how they would look forward on volume obligations and encouraging the continued blending and use of biofuels. And so, you know, from EPA, they're they're looking at some of the things that we've been talking about, some of the uh, this year, the 2022 volume obligations, but also the the decision to deny all those small refinery waiver exemptions that were were there sitting for them. So that was about 65 of those small waivers that they are going to deny, but that's also a rule. So they are actually asking for comment on that. So she gave some of an update on that, EPA did, um, but also to, you know, what, what they could do going forward, how they could approach this. And I think there's a lot of people and RFA CEO, President Jeff Cooper is, is really hoping that they're going to take a multiple year approach because, you know, we have this year approach and you've got to propose the rule, get comments on the rule, but it doesn't provide a lot of certainty. So I think going forward after 22, 
So into 2023, maybe it will be a 23 through 25 rule that they could look at that um, and, and decide how to really manage that demand going forward. Um, there's also some need on E15, how they would address E15, and that's from uh, just the waivers on it, just not getting into the weeds, but just what's allowed for a retailer to be able to sell E15 because we've had some court cases that said what EPA tried to do with allowing year-round use, they weren't able to do. Right. That has been the stickler there with that E15. Uh, Jackie, as you think about uh, really the EPA taking control totally of the RVOs, is there concern? They have not been very timely historically on releasing these obligations. Oftentimes they come well after they're supposed to. Is the industry, the ethanol industry, pushing EPA to be more timely as they assume full control of releasing the RVOs? And I think that's the intent. Um, you know, I think the intent is to get this back on track. And yes, the the yearly approach to it did kind of create some unfortunate delays and when that was released. And so I think that that is part of the reason why they're hoping. And, and, and you did kind of hear that indicated from the EPA official that we could see a multiple year package. So instead of just being in, introduced in November of the year and then it actually not coming out until February that we could actually see a multiple years out of being able to really provide that certainty. I think everybody in the ethanol industry wants certainty. They want to know where things are going. Um, you know, another kind of tweak, there's been some support from the ethanol industry of creating or complementing the RFS that we are familiar with with a low carbon fuel standard. But unfortunately, underneath the the congressional authority that came under the RFS, they can't change the RFS to create an, uh, an, a low carbon fuel standard similar to what Oregon or California does, which would reward and, and create some market incentive for different types of fuel or blending at higher levels. And so a lot of what the RFS was founded on was really these, these blending obligations and so that 15 billion gallons trying to get 15 billion gallons but how do you continue to encourage additional higher uses going forward a lot of um, a lot of enthusiasm there too about the future of sustainable aviation fuels and kind of um, building that but also too that we that ethanol today is a is a great um, low low fuel costing fuel that that help diversify our, our fuel supply, which obviously you, you mentioned just before about Ukraine. Um, obviously, gas prices could be going higher. So there's a lot more incentive even now to blend ethanol even without the RFS. Jackie, you mentioned there sustainable aviation fuels. I know they had a panel on that down there at the NEC. What what did you learn? How, I guess, what's the timeline for sustainable aviation fuels to be worked into the, the, the actual aviation system we have? Did they discuss that at all? You know, there's, there is a lot of excitement. I mean, overall, um, just some kind of base, and, and this is still, it, it's, it's, not new, but it's definitely gaining a lot of momentum in the in the last couple of years, and especially here in the last year. Um, so overall, I think they're, they they see the sustainable aviation fuel having a 35 billion gallon total uh, possibility, right? So 35 billion gallons compared to what we have today, which is you know our productions around like 15 to 17 billion. So that's a lot of new demand. 
Um, they have very, very small amounts right now, but they are looking to have a drop-in fuel. And they have some, they've had some test flights. And so one of the guys on the panel had actually been on one of those first flights um, that actually was, was fueled by 100% ethanol. And so there's a lot of excitement on actually uh, blending that. And there's some new plants that are doing it. There's one in Georgia. There's another one that's also going in in Illinois. Um, and another another one in Minnesota. So there is some, um, and, and you know, I talked with some ethanol producers who were there at this meeting, and I think a lot of folks are looking to, you know, how can they put put changes on their current plants to be able to also utilize their current infrastructure to bolt on the ability to create this new type of fuel that is a drop-in. So, you know, the ethanol that we use in our gasoline supply is blended. This would be a straight 100% ethanol that could be dropped into the jet fuel. And so um, a, lot of, a lot of excitement there. Um, I think they're, they're hoping to, to just get 5 million gallons. I mean, they're, they're starting, you know, this is kind of a, a, this could be slow, but it could also come really fast if they had the ability to to get some credits, there was some credits similar to what we have with the blenders tax credits to have tax credits for sustainable aviation fuels that were in the Build Back Better plan. We could see that still come up in, in another package yet this year if they're hoping to kind of create that incentive for those types of, of opportunities. And, you know, I think one thing that I, for the farmer level, because I know we have a lot of farmers who are listening, you know, there's going to be a lot more focus on the carbon intensity. So, you know, when you're delivering your corn to an ethanol plant, how long are you driving that corn to that ethanol plant? What are you doing on your farm that can help that ethanol plant say, you know what, this corn was produced with less carbon. So this isn't just necessarily a carbon market and selling into a carbon market, which I know we've heard a lot about, but this is being able to verify and quantify maybe the lower um, uh, actions and climate smart actions, but also, you know, how much are you driving to the farm? How many passes on for tillage on your field? Um, you know, what ways and, and how can you actually quantify that and get credit for that throughout the supply chain? And that's, you know, some really interesting things that are going on because they want to make sure that they're getting that Absolutely. They want to make sure they are getting the right carbon tap, capturing that premium in those low carbon fuel standard markets. Jackie Fatka, thank you so much for your reporting. We look forward to talking to you next week on what's going on in Washington, D.C. Very good. We'll talk Monday. Sounds good. And folks, stay with us. We'll be talking to Darren Domi about the oil industry in segment three. Don't go away from AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen? Check, check, and check. Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So, when was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? 
Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at the market trade here, getting to the end of our holiday-shortened week, it's a Friday. We're also nearing the end of the month, and we can see a lot of interesting things happen here in the next couple trading sessions. So far today, grain markets are sharply lower amid a correction here in these overbought markets, even though war is rapidly escalating in Ukraine as Russian forces continue to invade stocks are bouncing a little bit here in early trade the vix settling back below 30 this morning although that could change at any moment the dollar pulled back to trade near 96.9 as well really just a sell-off mode in the broader commodity sector here in other words the markets are taking profits on this week's big moves ahead of the weekend and we see crude oil right now that is down 87 cents a barrel at 91.94 so crude oil continuing to slip back as well Livestock, cattle and hogs all started higher. Hogs have reversed course, though, trading down triple digits. May corn, 26 and a half lower right now, 663 and three quarters. December new crop corn down 18, 586 and three quarters. May soybeans down 49 and three quarters, 1604 and a quarter. November beans down 25 and a half at 1426. May bean meal down 980 a ton, 445 80. May bean oil, 209 points lower at 6988. May Chicago wheat, that's down 55 and a half, 879 and a quarter. May Kansas City winter wheat down 60 and three quarters at 905 and a quarter. May Minneapolis spring wheat, that is down 44 and a quarter, 976. February live cattle up 97, 141.50. April up 87, 143.17. March feeder cattle up 225, 161.35. April hogs 190 lower, 103.62. May hogs down 172, 108.40. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back to AOA. You know, the past two days, we have really spent a lot of time on this show discussing the price moves that are happening in the markets that impact all of us here in agriculture. We've talked about the volatility in the grains. We talked about the climb in the value of the U.S. dollar. And of course, I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, it all comes back to energy. And that is where we have seen a substantial rally as the uh, tensions between Russia and the Ukraine have ramped up. Now it's time to see where we could go from here. To help shed a little insight on this, we are joined in this segment by Darren Domi. He's a managing partner at the Powerline Group. Darren, thanks for talking to us today. Great to be here, Mike. I know you work with wholesalers, retailers, folks all throughout the oil industry to hedge their production risks. And so I've got to ask you, Darren, after the volatility of the past two days, are we finding an equilibrium point here around $90 in the West Texas crude market? Well, I certainly hope so. I think maybe the market's a little bit exhausted. And uh, we may have seen, you know, the worst of worst of the bullish news here to hit the market. Uh, I think certainly we've got some fundamental issues we're going to have to deal with yet in the months ahead. But maybe we've topped out with, with the Russian-Ukraine news here for just a, really the balance of the week, which is today. We'll have to see what next week brings. Yeah, yeah, next week is definitely going to bring, I'm sure, fresh headlines, which could be moving the market. But, Darren, the, the real reason I wanted to have you on today was to talk about the response of the oil industry to these elevated prices. You know, we look at, at $90 West Texas crude, $100 Brent crude. I think back to the last time we saw these prices and everyone was jumping over themselves to get into the Perman and the Bakken and get some new wells in and capture this premium. Darren, I mean, I'm outside the oil industry, but in conversations, I haven't heard that level of enthusiasm from American oil producers. What's going on with this rally right now? Oh, you're absolutely right, Mike. Last time this happened back in 2012, 2008, man, it was a boom to the economy, not only in the oil industry, but to the pipe industry, to the trucks, everything in South Texas to North Dakota. But now everybody is pins and needles. It's because of our administration. They've gone out there and, and thrown red flags in front of these people. Uh, the EPA, the environmentalist, um, it, it's it's tough to go out there and even find money from, from your uh, previous banking relationships. A lot of these banks have been told, uh, you know, we don't want you to loan money to the to the dirty carbon producing entities. That that is incredible to hear that we would see an administration actively or is shrinking the production in the U.S. industry. Darren, have, have you worked with with companies who have had their their uh, ability to borrow cut off in uh, you know under these these new thoughts, these new rules and regulations? Oh. Is this physically happening? Yes, it is, Mike. I tell you, it's even trickled way down right to the local petroleum marketers or petroleum jobbers. Even back around Thanksgiving, I had one of my local. Uh, petroleum jobber said he just spent the day at his local bank trying to borrow money to expand his bulk plant so that he could handle more of these uh, variable, you know, tightening of supply to keep product on hand for his farmers and his commercial end users. He he called me all upset. He said he couldn't believe it. The local bank board wouldn't loan him money um, because of their mentality. They're they're all bought into this green religion, green view. It Darren, I mean, we hear this a lot, this push towards decarbonization, the move towards electric vehicles. I, we keep hearing these headlines and they're all you know, 10, 15 years away, these announcements to get rid of the internal combustion engine. If we're slowing down production, if crude oil's finding some value here around 90 bucks, is, is, are we just gonna see elevated prices for the foreseeable future? 
Well, I, I think you will. I mean, you're going to see more and more oil drilled in the Permian and even, even the Dakotas. Uh, and this will even inspire some of these other Middle Eastern countries and French countries to increase their oil production. Um, but again, you know, a lot of them uh, are afraid to make too big of long-term commitments uh, because of what goes on in this administration and with the EPA and with the, with the money available. They're, they're even having trouble finding investors, uh, some of these companies, um, because the green view is they don't want to invest their money in these things. They're stockholders. You know, I, jump and cheer. Yeah, and it's I, I've heard. Uh, I think he's the the head of commodities with Goldman Sachs. Jeffrey Smith said that uh, really this move towards ESG investing. We're looking at the environment, sustainability, and governance goals, and these folks just just aren't looking at the extractive industries, whether it's oil, whether it's mining. Darren, in in your mind, is a lot of this mindset coming from Europe to the the United States? Is that where how we're seeing this flow of ideas move? Well, the Europeans certainly have a, have a much stronger opinion about moving forward with the green environment, um, and it's pushing the U.S. A good example is BP, uh, British Petroleum. They have a huge refinery in um, Whiting, Indiana. It's just there at the southern, southern edge of Chicago, northwest Indiana. Very year ago, they even announced that they would like to try and sell this refinery off or even close it. Now, you got to understand, this is a 450,000-barrel-a-day refinery supplying all of Chicago, Wisconsin, Michigan, northern Indiana, uh, even, even uh, west, or western parts of Ohio. Uh, you, you start to lose these kind of refineries, and, and it's really going to cause you a lot of major supply uh, and distribution problems. You know, it's, it's going to be a big problem. And you even take Royal Dutch Shell, who owns a refinery uh, down in Covenant, Louisiana. When Hurricane Ida hit there a year ago, last fall, it was, you know, a great excuse for them to, to say, hey, look, we're not even going to fix this refinery. We're, it's a 220,000-barrel-a-day refinery. They just left it closed. They're going to use it just as a terminal for storage. Jeez, I mean, Darren, these refinery refineries closing. It is, is this a new move, these refineries closing, or is this a trend we've seen for some time? Well, it, it's a new move started when this administration took over. So what happens is these refineries, it takes a lot of money to invest in these things and to keep them going in the long term. These refineries now have this mentality, why should I keep pumping money into this thing and keep it going uh, when the U.S. is really pushing for this electrical car? I mean, even Volkswagen said they're not going to produce an internal combustion engine um, by 2030. You know, So a lot of these refineries are saying, why should I continue to fix these refineries up and put money into them. Absolutely. I mean, if, if you're not going to be allowed to produce, if you're not going to recoup that investment, how do you justify making it in the first place? Darren, you know, this move towards decarbonization, electrical vehicles, yada, 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 this has been happening, as you mentioned, since the start of this administration, maybe a, a little bit before in the, in the b broader idea economy. It, it strikes me, and again, I'm outside the oil industry, it seems as though we've gotten a little out over our skis on this deal. Is there enough pushback from the industry to start to see some money flowing back into oil exploration and uh, additional pumping? Well, there is over the last couple of weeks, mostly because of the Russian-Ukraine situation. Um, so now you're starting to get a little bit of pushback. Even Biden is feeling the heat. You know, I, I did turn on Sean Hannity yesterday, and Hannity said he was listening to Biden's new 
uh, radio address, and he said, and Biden made the comment that, look, I just got off the phone with all the important U.S. oil producers, and I told them I'm lifting all the all the current government restrictions. I want you to go out there and and drill and produce, you know, as much as you can, because they feel that they're going to have to start offering alternate crude oil supplies a lot of, to a lot of these European countries, and also guarantee supplies to ourselves, as maybe the Middle East barrels will have to ship shift to those European countries. So that's a big shift to have Biden come out and start encouraging oil producers to start drilling. And now granted, it's only been a day since that announcement was made. But have we seen any actual relaxation of the rules and regulations that might encourage those folks to get no, back not, out and start uh, sticking pipes in the ground? No, not just yet. I mean, uh, again, from what I've seen, the Biden administration still continues to blow with the wind. you got to remember what happened. He was inaugurated on January 20th. By January 22nd or January 21st, he comes in and stops the, you know, his first pop, uh, inter, uh, major pipeline deal. A couple of days later, or a week later, he comes in and he stops all the drilling in the Gulf Coast. Then it wasn't until June of 2020 um, that a U.S. judge comes back in and lifts uh, those restrictions. And then it wasn't until the fall that uh, the fall of 2021, another judge comes back and, and, and says he null and voids all those lease auctions in the Gulf of Mexico because they were overlooking the environmental damages that it's going to cause. And that was this judge's really, you know, his his opinion on the on the lease deal because he didn't he, he's too green, in other words, to the environment. Yeah. So all of those all of those exploratory harm. leases were thrown out there in the Gulf of Mexico. Is, is that the where things sit right now? That is still where things sit. Yes. Now, we have heard uh, President Biden last fall, I believe it was, issued a release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. There was recent talk yesterday that such a move might be considered yet again. Darren, it didn't do much for oil price last time when we had a release. Do you anticipate it doing much this time around if Biden pursues that plan again? At this time, no. What I currently read uh, in, a, in many analysis uh, reviews of that comments. Biden is looking to maybe try and get a world coordinated release of strategic oil of maybe 70 to 80 million barrels around the world, uh, which is basically three quarters of a day's supply of oil. So, you know, take that, Russia. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, really. just a drop in the bucket. <laughs> you know, it's, it's all hard right. because all these European countries really uh, can't put sanctions on Russia because they rely so heavily anymore on the Russian oil and the Russian natural gas. Absolutely. That is where the battle lines are going to move to soon. Darren Domi, we're going to get you back on, talk through how this Russia factor could impact the market long term. Thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate your insights. Thank you very much, Mike. And folks, stick around before the show ends today. We're going to talk to Greg Solier about weather expectations over the weekend. Stick with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, 
you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at dtnpf.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this year? Be sure to stop by the UPL booth to talk with their crop specialists. We also have some exciting news we'll be unveiling that you won't want to miss. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the UPL booth on Thursday, March 10th from 9 to 10 a.m. Stop by booth 5320 or listen live at 9 a.m. on the Agriculture of America radio network. We look forward to seeing you at this year's Commodity Classic in New Orleans. As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. 
Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Each week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, thanks for joining us today for AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Before we get to our discussion with Greg Solier about this weekend's weather and perhaps what to expect this coming spring, we do have some breaking news this morning from the Biden administration. A few weeks ago, Justice Stephen Breyer announced he was retiring from the Supreme Court. President Biden announced he will be nominating a, bl a black woman to the Supreme Court. And this morning, he announced a name. He says he will be nominating Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, Judge, excuse me, Katanji Brown. Jackson to be the first black woman on the Supreme Court. I'm sure when Senator Grassley is on on Monday, we will talk about Judge Jackson's uh, background and what to expect as this nomination moves forward. Certainly will have some impact for agriculture as several key cases will be in front of the Supreme Court later on this year. So stick with us. We'll have more coverage of this nomination battle as it proceeds. But Let's talk weather next. Joining us now, Greg Solier, the meteorologist from This Week in Agribusiness. Greg, it looks like we're starting to simmer down here across the center of the country with regard to weather here on this Friday. Yes, absolutely, uh, Mike. Uh, thanks for having me on again. Uh, yeah, we're try getting some senses uh, of a break on what has turned out for areas in particular, uh, you know, uh, throughout the Central Plains, uh, the Western through Northern Corn Belt and Southward into the Midwest, a pretty active and moisture-laden weather pattern uh, from organized snows in that part of the country and as far south as some of that frozen moisture into the north end of South Texas, Citrus, that is, where they are looking at uh, close to, if not below, freezing temperatures this morning to flooding rainfall in the parts of the Ohio Valley, Tennessee Valley, uh, sections of Kentucky, and it's been a very wet uh, wintertime season there. And around here, across the northern plains, southern Canadian prairie, boy, we've been just bitter, biting, bone-chilling, and nose-numbing. And at least while temperatures are beginning to modify and moderate, boy, it's a healthy wind out there across the Dakotas, the southern Canadian prairie today. And so wind chills are still just, just as tough on men and beasts as actual air temperatures have been the past few mornings around here. But, yeah, overall, it is a quieter weather picture, at least as it applies to a good chart of the plains, the Corn Belt, the Midwest, and points to the east here in the coming days. You know, Greg, I was taking a look at some of the reports from the storm systems Wednesday and Thursday, and there were ice and sleet reports stretching all the way from south of Austin, Texas. I think San Antonio had an ice report all the way up nearly to Boston. This was a huge storm, and I saw a lot of folks sharing pictures from Missouri, Arkansas, parts of Tennessee and Illinois. That This was substantial icing that came down uh, yesterday yeah. and Wednesday, it looks like. Exactly. Uh, as you pointed out, as far south as uh, 
South Central uh, Texas. Now it's another round of cold, and boy, the cold has been dominant there a good part of the wintertime season with recurring frost and freezes, as it has been through the valleys of California all the way into the San Joaquin Valley parts of Florida. So cold has been the story there and in our neck of the woods as well. But, yeah, another one of these far-reaching storms that runs, you know, dozens of states uh, with uh, generally that I-70 corridor and slightly south of there, the biggest uh, range of uh, significant ice and uh, power issues, which is still lingering in the parts of Pennsylvania, New York State. The big snows are in that part of the country right now. So, yeah, at least our uh, listeners and friends across the Dakotas and Nebraska have been spared on some of the real tough uh, winter stuff around here uh, regarding snow and ice, but uh, not the story in areas of the south and east, but certainly been cold enough around these parts, uh, certainly uh, for any wintertime season, let alone this one, sir. Yeah, it certainly has this cold is wearing on my patience. If I'm being honest, Greg, we've had a very busy weather pattern in effect this past week. As you look out to the weekend and into the early part of next week, does it start to simmer down or are we going to see continued movement of storm systems across the country? Well, generally, the, the, the big ones are over with, at least as we welcome in uh, the, the new, bunch of, uh, new month of March, that is, and the start of meteorological uh, springtime. We kind of divide the year, the months up evenly from a statistical and climatological standpoint. But in any event, no major systems, the cold air easing, but still will dominate a good part of areas up around Lake Winnipeg, the back and forth of these cold air masses that like to migrate over the heavier snow-covered areas. Uh, but there'll be a series of clipper systems moving on through, so a little dash of uh, wintery moisture from time to time, and we actually still need it uh, despite the recent drought improvement across parts of the mid and lower Red River Valley of the north still need some snow cover and moisture across Big Sky, the western Dakotas, and we'll see about every 36 hours a couple of week disturbances and probably by Thursday, Friday next week at least there. Uh, and here across the southern Canadian prairie, the northern plains, parts of the Dakotas, another uh, moisture maker, probably one of these mixed bags this time of uh, snow and ice potential. But again, it, it is at least moisture, and we need it uh, still in a fair amount of the area. And looking ahead into springtime, you know, it's a Niña setup uh, that's cooling the waters of the Pacific. And typically, it's the Pacific Northwest, our part of the northern plains, southern Canadian prairie, diving southeast into the Corn Belt that tends to be late winter style, a frequency of late winter, early spring weather systems, as in snow and moisture, and ultimately a trend towards a wetter weather pattern in the springtime season. So, yeah, not a lot of snow on the ground in areas of the western Dakotas, parts of Montana. We may begin to make up for that here in the coming days and weeks, and I just, at least from this vantage point, I know we're just in the, just about the early part of March, do not foresee uh, early access to the fields across uh, the Dakotas, the spring grain areas of Canadian Prairie, and the Red River Valley of the North, and what should be a pretty busy, moisture-laden, active one again this spring in our part of the world. So, Greg, I'm sure the folks who are tuning in right now in Montana, North Dakota, would love to see some additional moisture from the sky, but I think our friends down in the southern Great Plains, southwestern plains, would love to see some moisture as well. Does this La Nina setup, especially as you look out a little farther into the spring, does it line up any opportunity for additional moisture down there in that uh, southern, southwestern plains part of the world? Absolutely not. Unfortunately, it's going to be a real range of too much, I think, here, northern plains, northern and eastern Corn Belt versus, you know, on an occasional basis, we may get a system going, but I think there's ongoing dryness and drought that while we have seen some modest categorical improvement to the drought in parts of Oklahoma, sections 
of eastern Kansas. Uh, parts of Texas, I think it'll be generally a worsening scenario as we get deeper into spring and summer again. That hot high is going to want to migrate and situate itself there into parts of the southwestern sections of the country. That December wet weather pattern in California was an anomaly, meaning it doesn't typically happen or it's uh, kind of an outlier weather system compared to dry, drought-ridden, Niga weather systems in California and Southwest. So the answer is basically no improvement in that part of the country. Too much of a good thing as we get into the remaining weeks of winter and spring here across the Dakotas that points to the east and south, my friends. All right, struggles aren't done as planting season gets underway. Greg Solier, meteorologist from This Week in Agribusiness. Thanks for joining us to share your thoughts, Greg. Anytime, my friends. And folks, tune in on Monday. We'll talk with Senator Charles Grassley in addition to John Baranek looking at DTN weather. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.